0: If you
1: have your books with you, we're on page 123, the 35th Sutra. We've just finished the kind of exposition on the Yamas and the Niyamas. And now Patanjali goes into, which we've already covered, so we'll just kind of move through it a little faster, into the uh, kind of what you receive when you're perfecting one of these Yamas and the Niyamas. And uh, in thinking about that, Really, one of the ways to look at the Yamas and the Niyamas is it's a, it's our communication with the universe, you know, it's what we're putting out and therefore it's what we're receiving in return and that's another word for that is magnetism and so the Yamas and the Niyamas are essentially a means for us to shift and change our magnetism entirely you know, that's that's why it's helpful to know uh, you know, we're not looking at, oh, if I do this, I'm going to receive this. Oh, if I, you know, perfect this, I'll receive this. Hopefully, that's not our intention. But the quality and vibration is what Patanjali is trying for us to understand. Is you see, this is, this is what the universe can give you. This is how the universe will respond to you if you are working on these yamas. We had an interesting experience. I mean, it's not to cast dispersion on anybody else's magnetism, but it was interesting for us. Uh, Narayani and I were away for a week or so, um, in seclusion. And while we were away, when we got back, uh, people at the cafe told us, oh, there's, you know, every day there's this one guy coming, and this guy is extremely filthy, You know, he's just dirty, he's covered in like dirt all the time. And he sits for hours in all our chairs, dirtying all of them, doesn't order anything at all, just you know, drinks water, sometimes would even drink directly from the bottles that are on the table. You know, just not the most exciting, uplifting, you know, thing that you're looking forward to if you're going to the cafe. And so, you know they were just, telling that this person's just been coming every day warning you know we've not yet figured out how we're going to deal with him and so I'm also like okay what are we going to say to such a person because on one hand we don't want to shoo anybody away on the other hand and the energy somebody's bringing naturally affects the energy of the place that we're trying to create so we're very like okay let's see what's going to happen and since ever we this man's just never come and we've not yet seen who this person is but we don't we, know
0: yeah we saw someone a little bit unkept and is this this guy kind of, no, no, no. Like, okay we'll keep waiting could be a
1: figment of their imagination we don't know but uh, he, just an interesting thing It's like wow we've just he's never been back you know and it's not because somebody said something to him it's just he's just never been back maybe he'll show up at some other time when but That's that's just how the universe works isn't it? It's it's just a different things change If you enter a space the magnetism of the space has changed Whether for the positive or the negative that's what we're trying to find out But that's what the Yamas and the Niyamas are They're helpful for us to tune into and it helps to see What how's the universe responding? Because that will give us a sense of What is it that I'm putting out? Because sometimes we're not as aware what we are putting out Sometimes we think we're putting out good things and then we're like Why, why am I not receiving? Why is the universe not responding? I think but it's more helpful to see what's the universe responding with because the universe has got it more right than we have. And if it is responding in a certain way, that means that's for us to tune into oh maybe I have not yet understood this or maybe I do need some correction and that is why this is coming. So here of course Patanjali is laying it out from the absolute highest we hear in the thirty-fifth sutra starting with the first of the yams in the presence of one who is firmly grounded in harmlessness all hostilities cease um, which another way to put it is in your presence if you have completely perfected nonviolence, nobody in your presence can be violent you know not the greatest murderer not wild animals not anything or anybody we told the story of that time of you know Yogananda ji and this assassin who comes to kill him and you know, just like but at that moment he's like what have you done to me and he's just crying because there's just so much love that he felt he says i can't live like this anymore he drops his gun and runs off i was thinking of swamiji as well you know swami had back in the i don't know 70s 80s this this big six-foot-five-inch man who was a hell's, you know, hell's angels biker gang type guy, and who had found Swami, and in Swami's presence, he would be like a little child, and he would always be, I'm your bodyguard, Swamiji, and, you know, he would not let anybody come close to him in public (laughs) events and things like that. But very, you know, but in his other life, he's this biker, he works for a gang, for all all, we know, yeah, he was just like tattooed with his leather jacket, and That's how, you know, he didn't come, he didn't change the way he dressed in Swami's presence, he was still the hell's angel's biker. But when he was there, he would become like a little child and you know, Swamiji, because something just shifts in the presence of someone else, who is exuding a certain vibration and, and that's the universal response you can see. So, let's see the flip side, are people around me, usually negative? agitated you know do they react in a certain way and that starts to tell me where my level of nonviolence, harmlessness is and that you know so this is for us we need to look at it the other way because we're not looking for tigers oh are tigers becoming pussycats in my <laughs> in my presence well let's not try that first let's see if regular people are calmer in my presence if they are more joyful in my presence If they're more positive in my presence and that will help us start to feel, okay, you know, yeah, this is my magnetism. Um, You know, you can jump in at any time. So 36 Sutra to one who is firmly established in truthfulness, his very word becomes binding on objective reality. Whatever he says must come to pass. another this one is like yeah i want this one you know whatever they say and again we know we've heard enough stories from any of our scriptures from the lives of saints when if they have declared something it's done in the autobiography Sri yukteswar puts it in this way he's like you know the sun and the moon will change their position but my word will not fail. And then when his word doesn't fail, he says, looks like it was easier for the universe to make my word happen than rearrange the heavens. Because that would have happened if. In, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie of Sant Neshwar. But it's just this beautiful movie. It's a very old from the 1940s. You were thinking that? Really? Yeah, yeah, like
0: suddenly like the cow.
1: Yeah, the (laughs) buffalo. (laughs) So there's this this very, you know, Santniani when he was a little child, his... I don't know why, but he's an outcast. I think his father was a Brahmin or some priest and he married to a lower caste. And so therefore now he's untouchable and he's like completely, um, you know, just they're shunned from their village, from all society. So as a kind of low-born or whatever he they consider him, sometimes I don't even understand these distinctions, he's not allowed to take these sacred names of the scriptures. He can't really recite one of... I mean the key element of Sant was he took the Gita and he kind of took it from that high Sanskrit that only the Pandits could understand and read and he translated it into the local uh, language and that became Nyaneshwari, I believe that it is called. Um, So one day, you know, he's at this conclave of all these very, very educated high caste pundits and in their presence, you know, he comes up to them and he starts um, both reciting verse, but also kind of translating and clarifying it in ways that nobody's ever heard before. You know, so he's just expounding the scriptures And so they come and they're like really upset with him and they're just like how dare you, you know, you low caste person, how dare these, you know, divine words come from your mouth and so they forcefully shut him up by putting their hand on his face and the moment they shut him up, there was a buffalo nearby and the buffalo starts reciting (laughs) the words of the Gita, whatever scripture that he was and that's the power, it's just like nothing, whatever you're saying, the whole universe will speak your truth. If you live in truth, that's the power, again, of these great masters. But that also again, is the flip side is, what do we say more often? (laughs) It's not just about truth, but wow. even if certain things that I say were to come true, what do I usually say? Because we don't say very uplifting things always. So therefore, not very uplifting things happen in our lives. You know, we say bad things about others, about our own selves, about the world in general. You know, we're just we're very casual with our words often. And waiting, we don't need to wait till, oh, I'm in perfect truthfulness. And then we start looking now, what are the you, you know, what kind of, what's the quality of word that I often speak? And that's another way to say, oh, maybe that's why my life's not the way I would like it to reflect. Maybe that's why the universe gives me all sorts of weird stuff as well. And that should be our first step. Become more mindful of our words, not just truth, but just of our word in general, because word, especially the spoken word is very much a reflection of OM, because it's both vibrational on that level. And so it becomes something, uh, it has a certain power. That's why mantras have so much power. It's just the way Oh, a certain thing coming from perhaps the fifth chakra the way it hits those chords and the vibration it produces it, it remains once you've put it out there the universe has it and there's nothing you can do to take it back to one who is established in non-covetousness covetousness, which is the non-stealing all riches come we spoke about That consciousness of lack if you're constantly feeling that you don't have enough therefore you have the desire to have more then the universe tunes in not so much to your desire but to that consciousness of lack the universe thinks you feel that you don't have enough and therefore it's unable to fulfill you even by giving you things and so often it holds things back from you but if you feel on the other hand that i am already abundant i'm already prosperous there's absolutely nothing outside myself that I need in this moment. And that wholesomeness that you experience is very magnetic to the universe. And it feels like, wow, this guy, in the words of Christ, which I always love and have always, you know, are one that is a hard teaching, Christ says, To those who have, more shall be given. And to those who have not, even that which they have shall be taken away. And that's a question of consciousness saying. if you have this consciousness that's why even on a very mundane level rich people get richer (laughs) they're more magnetic in drawing wealth because once they've achieved a consciousness of abundance that i have they just keep drawing more and more of that creative people attract more creativity (laughs) i mean it's just to those who have more shall be given which feels weird we think, oh, jin ke pas nahi hai, unko dena chahiye. But it's not about the possession, it's about how they view life. And those who feel, oh, mere paas nahi, mere nahi And are always worried about the things they don't have. To them, even that which they have, shall be taken away. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's like, that seems harsh. <laughs> but well, that's, that's what the master says true. That's what Patanjali here is also emphasizing. One who is established in continence, and this is Brahmacharya, non-sensuality, achieves full vigour. Full vigour. Vigour is that inner strength uh, and, you know, infinite amount of energy. So when you're able to, through Brahmacharya, through self-control, hold the flow of your energy, then you have full vigour. And it's important to think about full vigour because that's a big word. It's not just that you will feel that tomorrow, you've just got a lot of energy to do whatever little things that you need to do during during the day. You're able to access that untapped, unlimited pool of prana and life force from which you are made. If you look at it scientifically as well, this is a, you know, in all our uh, energy and magnetism classes, we talk about the fact that an atom is responsible for, can be made responsible for destroying an entire city. And we're made up of enough number of atoms, so potentially somewhere in us, there's a lot of energy. Um, one scientist by just a, uh, whatever calculations they use, calculated said that an average human body has the potential energy, not necessarily the actual energy, the potential energy of 30 very large hydrogen bombs similarly if we look at the electrical system of our nerve of our nervous system every cell creates a certain amount of electricity again it's a very minute amount but if i add the trillions and trillions of cells it can be as high as 20 million volts now these are numbers that just from a very scientific perspective forget that we Assume that prana is infinite and it's everywhere, and we have instant access to it at all times. Even if I'm just looking at my physical body, even that contains a lot of power. When Brahmacharya, when continence, when non-sensuality is perfected, imagine that full vigor. It's not just key. You know, oh, I don't have to sleep as much. You become thirty hydrogen bombs. You become twenty million volts
0: and more. Just a story of uh, one of Yogananda's disciples coming one evening to touch Yogananda's feet, and Yogananda said, "No, don't touch me right now, otherwise you will be burned." (laughs) I mean, like he was in that state of that high voltage energy that he said, "Don't touch me right now, otherwise you you'll be burned." I mean, quiet and episode no for him to feel so powerfully charged
1: so well there we have it that's the kind of we're not going to be burning people but that's the amount of energy that can be accessible to us one who develops one who becomes established in non-attachment develops the ability to remember his past lives we talked about that final Detachment from the body and the identification with the body allows us to access You know all the bodies that we've inhabited, but it's also it also allows us. What does it mean to see past lives? It's not like we get to see a show. It's not like oh, you know, oh wow. wow I was a pirate. It's not to entertain us It is essentially to help us see cause and effect. That's what past lives are about, you know, oh, oh, yeah, yeah now I get it <laughs> now I see And in order to see cause and effect, we have to have detachment. Because another way to see detachment is essentially just distance. When you're too close to something, you really can't see anything beyond it. And when we're too close to our own selves and our own, then I'm just, oh, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Because I can't see anything else except my own self. But the moment I'm a little farther away, it's like, oh, oh yeah, I see that. I also see that. It's the same as high-mindedness. You know, further higher I go, I just see, oh, of course, of course the water goes into the ocean, that makes sense to me. But when I'm standing at it, I'm just trying to wonder, where is this all this water coming from in the ocean? But when I move away, I say, oh, yes, there's a river. Oh, and there's a source of the river, it's in the mountains. Oh, and so on and so forth. You start to see a larger picture. And that's what detachment really is. It's not, oh, you know, okay, I can't like this and I can't like that. It's just, there's space between us that I'm not bound by it. It's there, this book exists but it's a little further away from me. My own self is not completely identified and kind of involved with this particular reality and that allows us then to see cause and effect and therefore it allows us to peep and kind of tear past the veil of this incarnation because a lot of cause and effect is way back there. So you start to be able to tune into that, if detachment and non-attachment is perfected. Now we've moved on from the Yamas to the Niyams. For one who becomes fully cleansed and pure spiritually, there arises a disinclination for physical contact with others and for touch of one's own body. One gains, moreover, a purely sattvic outlook, and the ability to concentrate one pointedly. A cheerful attitude, mastery over the senses, and an ability for inner communion. Oh, there's one, this is like, this is one of those, everyone's only giving you one one little sweet, but here you're getting a whole box of chocolates. Um, So many things can compare, uh, which is to do with purity and cleanliness. Let's just hear it again. Disinclination for physical contact, Um, Ability to concentrate one pointedly, a purely sattvic outlook, a cheerful attitude, mastery over the senses and an uh, inner and an ability for inner communion. Now, of course, we can see purity. In order to have purity, we really have to have all these five yamas. (laughs) In order to be truly pure. Pure means unadulterated your consciousness is just purely your consciousness you add a little you add an attachment to your cell phone it's no longer pure <laughs> there's an adulteration now in your consciousness you add a need for something else it's no longer pure you add a negative thought it's no longer pure when you speak an untruth it's no longer pure so you can see how the purity but what's nice about purity is it's it's a direction we want to head toward, rather than as the yamas are that we're pushing things away Oh, I can't be lying. Oh, I can't be having these negative thoughts This becomes the positive just as Patanjali said before if you if you have something negative Immediately look for that opposite energy. That's what purity represents In the Bhagavad Gita, I don't remember which chapter but I think towards the very end Krishna makes this where he says What is poison? soon to the yogi becomes nectar and what starts off as nectar to the yogi eventually becomes poison. And this is where, you know, this is the thing. All of this seems like poison, like hard to do, difficult. But as we practice them, eventually it turns into nectar. And what we would consider, oh, let me just say whatever I want. Let me just do whatever I want, which feels like nectar because it's like, It's so easy. Things are working out for me. Oh, I just lied once and look, I got this amazing thing. But eventually turns to poison. And that's one of the cause and effects that we need to tune into. And when we're too close to it, we're not able to see. Contentment leads to to superlative happiness, the highest degree of happiness. I guess there's not much to say about that. austerity cleanses one's consciousness of impurities of both body and senses resulting in the appearance of special powers we talked about you know these become as large as you want you become weightless you can fly, levitate, um, uh, dematerialize your body at will and rematerialize it wherever this is the most exciting part of the spiritual journey for many people always asking what powers have you gained But, you know, (laughs) I haven't gained that many powers because I'm still working with the yamas and the niyamas. I'm still perfecting just those seemingly simple attitudes, but boy, it's just taking forever, isn't it? (laughs) But it just comes naturally, austerity again, what does it mean? Willingly putting ourselves in places where we just have to develop an indomitable will because when we have will if you remember from the autobiography classes that we're doing will power is the force of the astral world where by will you can manifest and materialize anything you want here we have to take will and but then we have to physically move it along but if you can develop your will then you're able to just materialize directly without the need to Convert and transform it into a physical outward action. 44th Sutra. Self-study and introspection aids communion with one's ishtadevta, or chosen form of God. Self-study and introspection aids in communion with one's ishthdevata or the chosen form of God. That's an interesting one. We looked at what was we looked at self-study more in a fun way, like you know, writing that thesis about you. But of course, as we start to introspect, what is it that we're really asking? Who is this person who is reacting? Who is this reality that's expressing itself this way? And as our introspection perfects, we again we start to separate. And we realize that we're living two lives. There is an observer and there is an actor. And as we start to separate the two and start identifying, and this is a long process, this is the process of self-inquiry. That's why introspection is the tool for the jnana yogi, who's trying to develop perfect discrimination. That's what comes from introspection. You're able to discriminate and separate the divine from the involved ego. And as we start to do that and we start to say, oh wait a minute, I'm actually this guy, I'm not the other guy. I'm the guy who's seeing the guy do the thing. <laughs> I'm the guy who's experiencing the guy do the thing. And when that starts to become our reality, then we're able to experience now what is our devta I know the chosen form of God you might believe to be Vishnu or oh now I'll see Ganesh appear before me. but really the chosen form of God is the form of God that God has chosen for us. our own self, our own higher self, is our And we start to have a relationship with our higher self more and more profoundly. And it may manifest because the mind needs form. It may manifest in something that looks like Vishnu or Shiva or Ganesh or your Guru. But it's really just you. You are God's chosen form. By complete oneness to God, Samadhi is attained. This is the final of the uh, Niyams, which is Ishwar Pranidhan. Complete devotion, complete openness, complete surrender to the highest form of the divine. By complete openness to God, Samadhi is attained. That's (laughs) all right. That's easy. But Swami writes here and I like this as a definition of Samadhi. When there remains no corner of your selfhood that you hold back from God, then alone can samadhi come. Isn't that a beautiful way to look at what that surrender and devotion means? When there is no aspect of yourself that you hold back from God, which suggests to us that we're holding a lot back from God. Wow. You know, I keep saying in all my meditations, in our prayers... Our standard prayers like God, we dedicate to you this body. I dedicate to you all the actions I'm going to do today. God, I'm giving you all my troubles. God, take this. Take you know we, we're like saying the words, but the fact again, it's always helpful to see it from the other side. The fact that samadhi hasn't come <laughs> means we're still holding a lot back from God. So our devotion—that's a wonderful way to look at devotion. How much of ourselves are we? Opening to God completely, where it is not holding back at all. And we talked about to be devoted to. How much of herself does a mother withhold from her child? She gives the child her all. How much does an athlete withhold from the passion for his profession? How much does an artist perhaps withhold from the creativity that he expresses in any form? That's what devotion is. Oh, I'm devoted to my art. I'm devoted to my, you know, expression of whatever it is that I'm doing. And the same question is for us to say, I'm devoted to God. But then we have to ask ourselves, "Eh, I don't think I'm that devoted because I'm definitely holding a lot back. And again, it's just like, whatever you hold back is what he can't give you, (laughs) is what he can't take away from you either. And so we get to be, well, we get to be stuck in our own selves and get to enjoy this experience a little <laughs> bit longer. I just get to be sure, Joel, longer than I want to. <laughs> but that's, so this is the communication that we're talking about with the yamas and niyamas. And it's very nice of Patanjali to kind of lay it out. Okay, you know, this is how the universe responds. And it helps us understand and I can contrast All these responses to the responses I receive from the universe right now and say okay This is where I must be therefore in this process because to me hostilities have not ceased (laughs) People are still who they are around me. They don't they haven't transformed in my presence So therefore there's definitely my consciousness is not refined enough That in my presence or in that magnetism or in that aura you see an instant shift in people and so on and so forth so this is a wonderful kind of as as Patanjali is always doing with us checks and balances check it out understand for yourself where you are move forward we'll come to the, fir- uh, the third of the ashtanga which is Asan, which means and Patanjali just puts it as simply as he can means to be seated in a firm pleasant and relaxed position that's his entire definition of asana and based on this one definition oh in the entire yoga sutras patanjali uses the word asan just once here to define asan and or twice i guess when he first names it in the ashtanga and now when he defines it but based on this people assume that patanjali was talking only about hatha yoga and all the entire yoga sutras is somehow related to hatha yoga but as we can see, he's not talking about any asana. He's not saying, now get into padahastasana and then after this go. No mention of any such thing because all he's interested in is what is the posture that the yogi holds. And what is the posture of a yogi, meditating yogi? Firm, pleasant, relaxed. So, firm is the most important to start with. Firm means, this is not firm, you know? This is a firm position where I am firmly on the ground. My body is firm. My spine is straight, uplifted, upheld. Everything about my body suggests firmness. Anything which suggests, which is hard to kind of tune into both these realities because you've got firm and you've got relaxed. And in the middle, he's thrown in pleasant. You know, and oftentimes our positions are not pleasant they're like hurting our knees and you know they're not pleasant at all aren't they but that tells us that we've not perfected Asan. when this position becomes pleasant when this is the only position you ever want to sit in then you've perfected asana. In another place he puts it if you can hold your body in that firm pleasant relaxed state motionless for 3 hours that's when you know you have perfected asan but these are three important words for us to tune into firm yet relaxed and in their pleasant which means what no resistance. huh
0: go, go. <laughs> thinking no resistance today the...
1: no resistance and in fact enjoyable you know, pleasant means I'm deriving pleasure from this asana. I'm actually enjoying this. I'm not feeling like, oh, you know, can I, if only <laughs> let me just open this one leg quickly for two minutes and then put it back. And hopefully nobody saw that I moved that much. No, it's not. We're just looking at, when will I get to the point? <laughs> Again, these reality checks are a little too much reality for some of us. But when will I get to the point that I'm firm? Which means i'm motionless that i'm relaxed that in my firmness i'm not you know that it's a very fine balance and it's actually fairly hard to achieve at times that firmness yet be there be no tension in the body that you're being upheld when you go into deep meditation yoganandaji said your own prana that moves upward then holds your body still and upright. At that time, there is no self-effort, there is no will at all that needs to be involved. And that's, you know, the ideal state that we want to reach in our meditations, is that when the energy in my spine is responsible for holding me up, and not my mind which says, oh, have I moved? Have I changed? Have I shifted? Have I dropped? But at least we have to start where we can, which is get really nice and firm, get as still as you can, get very conscious about your body, that's the firmness that we have to bring and then in that to relax and of course we use the double inhalation and exhalation and we have many ways the entire Hatha Yoga is the means to achieve to achieve a relaxed state in firmness because what are we doing when we practice an Asan? we put ourselves in fairly uncomfortable <laughs> positions you know. And all the time when we put ourselves in this position, what are we thinking? We're not thinking pleasant. We're thinking, mm, when, when will the teacher say, now get out that final exhalation, which is waiting for it. So, you know, so we can see that our consciousness doesn't quite understand the, that. And we're very tense. And you'll see most of us are moving and most of us are, you know, vibrating a little bit because we can't hold that tension. It's very hard to get into a position, relax in it. And then enjoy it and that's when you know that even hatha yoga that's when you know you're perfecting the asana is when you can hold it for very long that asana where you enjoy that that overextending Discomfort of the asana and that you're very relaxed in it. So even if you have a yoga practice Tune into your yoga practice from that perspective as well. That's why Swamiji gave us affirmations with every posture It's also to make sure that our mind isn't thinking about when can I get out and oh my goodness and otherwise those are the thoughts that are being infused into that asan. Instead he's like strength and courage fill my body cells you know and I awake in thy light or whatever it is that he's thrown in there both attuned to the asan itself but also keep the mind in that really uplifted state that says I'm enjoying this. This is going to help me a lot. So there we have, that's our thing on asana. We have one more sutra that we'll talk about asana and we'll go into it in our next class.
0: Do you want to
1: go? No. Why don't you see what you felt and came out from this? Well,
0: while while I was reading these stanzas and these sutras, I realized that Patanjali uses the word of when someone is firmly grounded hmm. and then keeps going on when someone is established. fully established you know and so, so you see a, a pattern in there in his words which is not when one practices this but once one has perfected that particular yama, niyama, attitude, thought pattern. And I would like for this week um, to think about how can we perfect a particular yama or niyam, not just practicing, because I mean, that's a given. That's what everyone on the path should do. But what about if we start perfecting Perfecting a particular yaman, niyam. And I was thinking truthfulness. That's an easy one to start perfecting. And Swami Kriyananda gave a great emphasis to it. He said, What you say, what you say you will do, you must do. He said once. He wanted to go to buy a newspaper, and someone heard that he was going to go to town that afternoon to buy a newspaper. So a devotee came that very morning when he heard that, bought the newspaper, and he went to Swami Swamiji. So happy because, you know, in that particular case, Swami didn't have to go to town. So when he gave that newspaper to Swamiji. Swamiji said, well, thank you so much. I'm very grateful that you have brought this new paper. But since I said I will buy this newspaper, I still need to go to town and buy this newspaper. And that strongly he perfected truthfulness. And I would like for each one of us to start taking our words more seriously. If we say we will be there at 5 p.m., we have to move heaven on earth to be there at 5 p.m. If we said we will do it, we must do it. Not that it will be done by somebody else. I said I will do it and I will make sure to do it. If I'm about to leave my home but I'm not there in a rickshaw, And if someone asks me, where are you right now? I'm not going to say I'm on a rickshaw almost there. I'm at home, I'm about to leave. So whatever we say, whatever we communicate and we put out, we need to start becoming more responsible and mindful. And this is something that all of us can do daily. I mean, we are constantly using and misusing our words. And I think the time will come, and why not now to start perfecting truthfulness to the point that we will think about it and even before we say it, it's so powerful that it will be manifested. So find a way throughout this week, how are you going to perfect truthfulness? <clears throat> and whenever you commit to something, make sure that you fulfill it. And the words that you use, are, they, are you communicating truth in an uplifting way? And inspire others to be truthful as well. It's an art. It's not easy. And sometimes we have been accustomed to just say things randomly, you know, don't pay attention. And what they are doing is just, they are developing within us a different consciousness that that we don't want to reinforce. So from now on, let's think about perfecting, not just practicing things. How can I perfect this? And maybe by the end of this week, uh, you will see that even your magnetism is changing and your way to communicate with others changes as well. And Just be more mindful of what you put out into this universe because the universe is listening not just what you say but the intention behind it and both things have to go hand in hand what swamiji said i not just said i would buy the newspaper my intention was to go to buy that newspaper i'm honoring that intention and i think now that we are representing principles on the spiritual path uh, we need to start living by them not just talking about it and yeah and find ways to do that in your daily life but the perfection of truthfulness could be a good mm, attempt throughout this week therefore let's take you know a couple of minutes to make an inner resolution and also go through whatever has been shared throughout this class. I mean, the way that Patanjali spoke about these teachings was very direct, was for very advanced spiritual aspirants who wanted serious spiritual development. So as we receive this knowledge, let our way to offer back and reciprocate to this knowledge be it the practice and the perfection of it ever more consciously. How are we going to communicate this week? How willing are we going to be to honor our world? Every word has power, has magnetism. It creates karma as well as dissolves karma. So from this very moment for the next seven days, let's make a vow if you feel like inwardly, no matter what. I'll do my best to live by what I say what I commit to without distorting reality without adjusting it to use my word to generate and create new magnetism in my life. Let that be your sadhana as well. Let's end this evening by projecting outwardly from the heart through the point between the eyebrows rays of light. Touching and uplifting every soul, starting from those around you in this very room and expanding outwardly to your neighborhood, your society, your country, the world and beyond. And let truth be our guide. Aum. Shant,
1: shant. And we have a wonderful practice for this week.